Hey everybody, I'm Alicia and welcome to the Medicine in Color podcast, a platform where I highlight the voices of men and women of color in all aspects of medicine and elevate their stories for the world to hear. Let's get to it. Hey y'all and happy new year. Um, welcome to the very first episode of the Medicine and Color podcast. It is finally here and your girl is excited. Uh, I want to first and foremost thank y'all for listening. Thank you for subscribing, sending me uh, guest suggestions and everything you've been doing to show support. Keep doing it. It is greatly appreciated. I am over the moon that this platform is finally here. And I envision it growing into a really beautiful space that is rooted in uplifting the future of medicine and just the culture in general. Uh, I think this platform is necessary and will be a beacon of light in the life of everyone who listens. So like, share, subscribe, send it to your friends, your family, young aspiring docs in your life, and just share broadly. Uh, This podcast is not just for me. It is for you, the listener. So again, if there's somebody you want to hear from, someone who you believe has a powerful story, shoot me an email at medicineandcolor at gmail.com or hit me up on social channels at medicineandcolor on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, So a quick update on where I am in my process. If you listen to the trailer episode, you know that I'm a first-year medical student in the Philadelphia area. And since releasing the trailer, I have completed my first year of first term of medical school and I'm now in the midst of my second term. I will say that the transition into medical school was a bit challenging for me initially, but I'm making it through and charging forward, and I have found my stride. At least I feel like I found my stride, and things are going well. Uh, Initially, getting adjusted to the workload and learning how to manage it all was a challenge. Very interesting, Uh, but we're good now. And most people usually describe uh, medical school as drinking water from a fire hydrant. I think one of my classmates described it a little better as trying to outswim a tsunami. You're swimming, the water is coming, it's coming, it's coming. You see it coming, but you can't avoid it. Uh, medical school is amazingly chaotic, very time consuming, and sometimes exhausting. But overall, I am glad I'm here at this season of my life. I wouldn't trade it. I'm a better student than I was several years ago. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here now. So I feel good about where I am and in my process. And I'm learning a ton, even not just in the classroom, but about myself as well. So all in all, everything is going well on my end uh, and I am moving forward. So about my first guest for the podcast, her name is Dr. Magdala Sherry. She is a board certified internal medicine physician serving as a primary care general internist and assistant professor in the South Jersey and greater Philadelphia area. She's a New Jersey native and went to undergrad at Montclair State University. She earned her master's degree and medical degree from Rowan University School of Osteopathic Medicine. And then after she graduated from medical school, she went on to complete her internal medicine residency at the University of Connecticut and completed the Yale University, Stanford University Global Health Fellowship. She's super passionate about health policy issues that impact women and girls, and so much so that she created and implemented a year-long after-school program in Camden, New Jersey called Project SIS 
that focus on addressing the Healthy People 2020 initiatives as it relates to adolescent females. In 2016, Dr. Sherry was selected for the Changemaker Award for her community work and was invited to the first United State of Women conference put on by the White House. Uh, on a personal note, I met Dr. Sherry for the first time while I was in grad school, and I remember seeing her in the library on a random day with her big natural hair, melanin on a thousand, all moisturized and stuff, uh, in her long white coat, just minding her business. She didn't know at the time that I noticed her, but in that moment, I was grateful for her presence because it reminded me that regardless of your years and age, your professional experience or life experience, representation matters. Uh, Dr. Sherry is a phenomenal woman. She's a role model. She's an educator and advocate. And I believe that you will enjoy our conversation. So check it out. Here's my conversation with Dr. Magdala Sherry. Let's jump right into the interview, okay? Awesome. All right, cool. So my first question for you is, what do you do and why? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm trying to summarize it as best as I can. So um, I'm a physician. I'm an assistant professor. Uh, I teach, um, but I'm also a daughter, a sister, and a friend, if I can summarize them in just words. Mm -hmm. I mean, Everybody wants me to lead with me being a physician, and I know it's the first thing you see. You see the white coat, and that's a title, and I'm called a doctor, obviously, which took a long time getting used to. Yeah. Um, so that's what I do, right? But it's not everything about me. So if you, if I feel like I almost have to take a step back um, and say that I am the firstborn daughter to immigrant immigrant parents who is just living out her dream and cannot believe where it's taken her, if I could summarize. Yeah. Yeah. And so to piggyback on that, some of the places that your dream is taking you. Um, oh my gosh, the places, it's been insane. So it's taken me, you know, out of the country. Mm -hmm. So I've been, you know, Puerto Rico, uh, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, I mean, the biggest place, South Africa, and spent some time there just doing medical work and mm -hmm. getting exposed to different things. Um, it's taken me to tables that I never even pictured. I mean, I got to sit across from um, Dr. Barbara Ross Lee, who is the first African-American woman DO to be a dean of a medical school in the United States. Um, I've met uh, former U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Regina Benjamin twice um, and actually had a conversation with her. I've, I've just met so many dope and crazy people. Um, and to think that I'm just early on in my career mm -hmm. and I'm only 32 years old and to be able to do so many things, see so many things and feel like, wow, this is incredible. And I've only just touched the surface is insane. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So um, you talked about being the proud daughter of immigrant parents. One of the things that for me, as I've gotten older, um, I'm really proud of my heritage. I'm proud of my parents. I'm proud of um I'm a, I'm a Southerner, born and bred. I'm from Georgia. Yeah, Shout I can tell by the accent. <laughs> so I, listen, here's the thing. People say I have an accent, but I don't hear it. Um, I think I do well at being neutral, but other folks say I have an accent. Um, and so talk about the way your parents raised you that has shaped the way in which you move in the world. Oh, man, that's such a deep question. So I'm going to try to break it down as much as possible, but everything, everything. Um, if anybody knows the Haitian culture, it values education like no other. Like that, that's your way out. That's that's why a lot of our parents have come here from Haiti and just really, you know, did 
low paying jobs, the jobs that nobody wants to do, multiple jobs, just to ensure that their kids have a chance. Like it's literally, that's what you do. And it's funny because in, in the recent years, the last probably one or two years, I've been talking to a lot of my close friends who are also, you know, of Haitian descent. And a lot of us grew up in the same Haitian church. Mm-hmm. So there's like this huge Haitian church in North Jersey um, that I grew up a part of. And I didn't count, I didn't realize how much being a part of that church was my privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk often about that um, in my social media post about being from this church, what we call MOC. It's my own church of God, but we all label it as MOC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize how that changed my life and changed my trajectory. So it's not even just my faith in God and being a woman of faith, but just to grow up in that community. Um, I hear people say, you know, I didn't know being a doctor was a possibility. I can't speak to that experience because there were people in the church that were becoming doctors, becoming business leaders, becoming engineers. So you you knew it was hard, but the thought of it being impossible just did not exist. Yeah. Um, the circle it created, like a lot of my good friends, my circle of friends come from that church, mm-hmm. like literally are my confidants right now. Mm-hmm. They're my inner circle. And we're doctors, we're lawyers, we're teachers, we're entrepreneurs, we're business owners. Uh, it just the list goes on. Right. So in itself, just that just shows you the values we had because you you was not going to be outbeat by this next person going to college and achieving this Absolutely. and your your parents yeah. talking about it like hey you see this person's child what they doing what you doing what you coming up with <laughs> yeah. so just that and just um just seeing like I grew up seeing my mother work three jobs I grew up seeing my mother be tired from the night shift to not want to put us on a school bus because she's like, we got to drive in a car because I need that time to pray with you guys and speak into your life. My mom was, mm-hmm. I'm big about affirmations now, but I didn't realize that my mother made me that way. So so we grew up in a predominantly white town mm-hmm. and my mom would take that time while she's driving us to school um, to sp- specifically say, you know, we're going to pray right now because I need to make sure I send you to school in the right spirit. But also she'd be like, don't worry. I know you're in these honors classes, these AP classes, but you're just as good as them. You can do it. Yeah. Don't don't if, if you get a even say if you get a grade that you don't feel comfortable with, go ask the teacher why. Mind you, my parents couldn't even didn't even have the educational level to check my homework, mm-hmm. but they were just empowering me to be my own voice yeah. and to also be in a class that they knew no one else would look like me and say, you can compete. You're just as good. So just the hardworking values, the work ethic, the value on education and just believe in myself that came from my background that came from my culture. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay. So then that opens the door for another question I have for you. So, um, I recently finished Michelle Obama's book, uh-huh. as I'm sure that everyone <laughs> has read, all, um, along with uh, all two million other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and in it, she tells a story about when she's in kindergarten mm-hmm. and how she didn't do well uh, at she couldn't sound out the word white, like mm-hmm. doing the colors that they had to do in, in school. And she went to the teacher and was like, "Hey." I need to do this again. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the class had to sit through her, sit, you know, sit through it, but she advocated for herself. Mm-hmm. And so you talked about finding your voice um, early on, like your your parents giving you that stage to mm-hmm. find your voice. Mm-hmm. And so how has that translated into you advocating for other people? Oh man. Um, so speaking of stories, I'll never forget this story. And I think this will take me into my segue. So uh, started in our school system, starting from, like around fourth, fifth grade, they start putting people into like uh, otters classes, yeah. midi, you know, middle of the road, mm-hmm. average, and then yeah. things like that. So I was always good at mathematics. And um, the reason why is because my mom 
would from a young age would buy flashcards and would just have the flashcards. And she actually learned these techniques from being the cleaning lady and a home health aide mm-hmm. for a lot of affluent white families. That's what my mom used to do. And she would pick up on their techniques of the tutor that was mm-hmm. in the home or what the parents would do with the kids. So my mom would leave work and then go to Toys R Us and go buy the same learning tools. And then we'd have double the homework. So whatever school gave us, and then also these things. Yeah. And while we're cleaning, and I don't even know if my mom knew the answer, if I'm really thinking about it now as we're talking about it, we were cleaning and we would have the flash and she would pause and just be like, let's go, flashcard and just go. And it got us, me and my brother, really good with math. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're in this, so I'm in fifth grade now, they're separated us. And my mom asked us, she's, my mom asked me specifically after seeing my report card, she goes, so which math class are you in? Is like the high one, the middle one, or the end? And I was like, oh, I think it's the middle one. It's always easy. I finish my homework before I get home. I'm a real suit, you know, yeah. like get, bigging myself <laughs> up. Like, I got yeah. this. Mm-hmm. And my mom goes like, like nah. mm-hmm. that's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then we had, they had the students, you know, parent student teacher conferences, right? Mm-hmm. So they have it. I don't even know what's happening at this conference. Obviously, you're not there. So behind the scenes, my mom has a conversation. And she's like, no, nah, my, my daughter needs to move up. Like, you don't understand. Like, she's an A student. You need to challenge her. So you yeah. need to move her up. So the next day I go to school. I'm, I'm backpack. I'm real, I'm real comfortable yeah. and I'm real happy about this. And she's like, no, you're moved to another class. And my face just dropped. And I'm in this class, scared to my bones. No one looks like me in this class. Mm-hmm. And I remember going home. I was so mad in the car. And my mom knew. Like, she had a smirk as she's driving home. And um, later on, I muster enough courage to be like, Mom, what happened? Whatever. And she's like, I know you can do it. I know it's hard. I know you don't like it. But I have to do this for you. Like, you have to challenge yourself. Like, you have to, you know, I have to teach you how to be an advocate for yourself when you need more. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget. I'm in fifth grade. And I never could forget that experience. So, you know, that's probably what's been pushing me and moving forward. And just thinking about how my mom was that voice for me. And I'm mm-hmm. fortunate. A lot of people don't have very involved parents. And yeah. even when she was still navigating through a country she doesn't know, um, she still learned, you know, through watching others how to be an advocate for your own children. So that is something that slowly became something that was important to me mm-hmm. um, that I picked up, picked up on that I didn't realize that I had. So when we talk about advocacy, that's definitely where that came from. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but then it also comes from your own struggles. You can only advocate. You can't only advocate, let me take that back, but your advocacy efforts and the passion behind it comes from something you can relate to, either directly or someone close to you that has experienced it. And I think that's like one take home to whoever's listening. You know, don't just advocate for something because it's hot, Mm -hmm. it's lit, it's on the media and everybody's talking about it. And everybody, and I always get the students ask me, how do I know? How do I figure it out? step back and look at your life yeah, step yeah. back and look at what you've experienced because i truly believe you go through these you go through these things to teach you more about what you need to be a voice for because your voice is as strong as the experience you've gone through like people connect to that because mm-hmm. it's no longer like oh dr sherry is talking about this is oh dr sherry understands right yeah. Yeah. so i think for me that's where that you know that's kind of what i would say towards advocacy so in that light my advocacy is like multifold and mm-hmm. I didn't, it developed that way. So at first it was like, you know, I'm a child of immigrant parents and, you know, we grew up, I didn't necessarily live in the hood, but I live close to it. So listen, okay. <laughs> and I, I've seen it. I mean, literally my parents had a choice between living in the hood 
or literally a street over and yeah. buying a foreclosed house. Yeah. And that's the type of mom and parents I come from because she's like, let me just get the foreclosed house because my kids will now go to an affluent school. So, you know, I'm, I, you don't have to be directly from the hood not to be f- familiar with what's going on. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, you know, patients of color and and having being communities that really need me as far as advocating for patients is a big thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like almost why everybody goes into medicine anyways, yeah. um, even though you don't develop that skill too much and medical education doesn't do a very good job at teaching students and future physicians how to be advocates, but that's definitely one. But that's not the only thing, mm-hmm. right? So the other part is advocacy on the front of medical education. Our, so taking that to the next level, yeah, we want, you know, we don't have enough primary care doctors. We're anticipating we're gonna have a shortage. But just to produce primary care doctors is one thing. To teach them how to adjust to a culture yeah. is huge. And I learned that. We could talk about that later. But I learned that the hard way when being in Camden with that after school program. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was coming in to be the girl to save the show and, yeah. and be like, yeah, I'm going to teach you how you could be a doctor. And a student checked me like, hold up, student doctor, whoever. Like, I think she literally said that. She literally <laughs> hit me right here. She was like, hold up. Wait a minute. Check your ego. Check your ego. Yeah. She's like, check your ego. Don't come in here dressed all nice and think you're going to tell us about stuff. Like, I know you hear the statistics on the TV and what you hear in the news, but we are a community. You know, have you gotten to know us? And that, like, literally changed my eyes. And that was one experience I had in med school that made me think, okay, I got to rethink my framework. But it's also teaching that to future future doctors. I don't care what skin tone you come or background. You know, you could be dealing with people from multitude of experiences, how you connect. Mm-hmm. Do you understand that it's not just them not wanting to take their medication, but do you understand that they can't afford it yeah. or they can't afford to eat healthy or what's in their neighborhood? So how do we teach that language of social determinants of health? Like yeah. how do we really, and not just a class or a week course that you take so we could just be like, check, we taught our students, yeah. but are we really intertwining that from day one, when you step into medical school till the end of your training and residency. Mm-hmm. So that has become one of my things that I'm advocating for. Um, so taking it from patients, but also how do I prepare the doctor who's going to see those patients? Mm-hmm. And then the next part, I could say that has been an area of advocacy for me that's growing and it's a little bit uncomfortable, but advocating for physicians of color mm-hmm. um, is huge for me. Um, I think we don't talk enough about microaggressions and imposter syndrome and the things that we face on multiple levels as we're on this journey to medicine. And I got shook in that avenue. Yeah. I got real shook in that avenue um, in residency. And uh, I decided that I was going to be a voice for that. And it was uncomfortable because I'm like, I don't want to be the black doctor that always talks about race or, you know, with my big hair and that's what you're about. But if it shook me enough, then someone else needs to hear it. And maybe it's just, you know, you see my stories on social media or how I talk about imposter syndrome or my own struggles. Maybe it's just that to give another student who's scrolling through their timeline validation um, to say, okay, it's not just me. Because I know when I've had conversations, you know, offline or in a corner, they're like, yeah, me too. And I'm like, well, you you could have, t- like, people don't talk. Why nobody told me? 
Yeah. <laughs> I went into this thinking, you know, we cool. And, 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 and then the pitfall, right. With my, with my upbringing and my culture is like, you know, as long as you look nice, you present yourself, uh-huh. your hair is straight, yes. you look the part, yes. they will respect you. Yes. You have the degrees. I have three degrees, right? Yes. Like it's okay. You're not the same level. Mm-hmm. And we struggle with this even as Caribbeans. Cause we kind of dismiss ourselves from, you know, the struggle of the African-American in America. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're not the same. And to have to go through some of my experiences and realize that no one cares, like what they see, right? It's just what they see. Skin color is what they see first. That's what they see. Um, Was super enlightening. And I was like, okay, no, we're going to have to talk about it. We're going to have, and I'm I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to cultivate that voice Mm -hmm. uh, and that point of advocacy and how I'm going to go about it. But it's something that I've made it, I've decided to make one of my missions. Okay. So you said, you said like five things. (laughs) That, I'm sorry. That I wanted to hone um, I have a similar story though with my dad, and I had I recently called him to say thank you, but don't brag. <laughs> but he made us take um, um, summer school classes mm-hmm. for fun. Yes, so my, my mother dad, did the same thing. We could not go to camp. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I think me and my brother are still salty and bitter because. Yeah. We were taking classes and people thought we were remediating. No, my mother yeah. made us sign up to get to yes. be more prepared and be on top of the game. Yes. Yes. I, yes. I remember he I caught <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so like I was in middle school. I was the seventh grader. And I looked like a seventh grader too. Mm-hmm. So I still the way that I dressed, I remember very vividly. I had on uh, Mickey Mouse overalls <laughs> in a high school algebra class. <laughs> Like summer class, so I'm a seventh grader in a class with high school students, and I'm like, why am I doing this? My dad, like he, my dad was a math. Let me put context around it. He has a degree in math. Mm-hmm. He loves math. He right. thinks math is brilliant. Like, <laughs> I, the only math I can do is percentages off of clothes. And we were literally, he would literally put us in summer school. But now I realize how that has that shaped my love for learning. Right. Although at the time it was, I was doing it begrudgingly. Um, and gave me a like a desire to learn as I know desire to know things, but also I understand now why why he did that. Yeah, this idea um, of leveling up yes. without people telling you to. Yes, right. Yes. and that's really what you've been doing so early that you didn't realize. So you you read the extra pages. Mm-hmm. You like figure out ways when you don't understand something to go mm-hmm. around go around it because the expectation is yeah, like you gotta you gotta bring it yeah. right. So you yeah you don't even realize that's what your parents taught you until later on. You're like how. Like this, and exactly. then you're, you go always like, oh man, I was kind of mad. Uh-huh. I should probably I was say mad. thank you. I was mad. That's exactly. It was like two weeks. I'm like, oh, I see what I see what you did there. That was clever. Exactly. That was clever. Exactly. Those were my mother used to make read to us every night going to bed. Like, I see what you guys right. did there. Right. That right. was clever. Right. Um. <clears throat> so you talked about imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. and so, um, I think so. You there's there's two two kind of worlds for you. Mm-hmm. You are Caribbean. Mm-hmm but you are black in America. Mm-hmm. And so uh, th- those, are, those are two different worlds, right? I took right? a deep breath right there. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and so uh, how do you navigate? So I know for me, even though I know that I'm smart, I know that I'm talented, I know that I'm capable, there's still the ever-present, am I good enough? Mm-hmm. Am I smart enough? In a room, in, in rooms, and I've been in great places and done great things and all that kind of stuff, uh, but there's still that question. So how do you navigate that? How do you move around that? How do you um, beat up the mental bully? Oh, man. 
who uh so i guess um let me think. So I guess the first step for me, and it, it's a long, this is a long time coming. I had to get help with this if yeah. I'm being transparent yeah. um, because this is a huge struggle for me. So to be at where I am now with the idea of imposter syndrome or believing in myself, I first have to say I had to be grounded in why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. So I will constantly, if you, if you know me, the people around me know me, they will tell you that I'm constantly saying that me being a physician or where I am is a calling. Mm -hmm. And I chose to do a work that's my calling. Like I know some people say, you know, your career doesn't have to always be what you're passionate about, or what your calling is. For me, it was important that they were yeah, intertwined. Me too. So, so that for me, even on the worst day, on the day that I doubt myself or I question myself, I go back to that. Mm -hmm. And that's that has been everything. And working through all the mental, emotional um, um, baggage that comes with. A journey in medicine like people don't want to talk about it that way yeah. but it is right and that's for everybody um physi physicians in general i think we're now having a voice to talk about that yeah. and that wellness struggle especially with all the physician suicides but there's a lot that comes to this journey so that's just trying to be a doctor in general let alone add the layers a woman of a woman mm -hmm. pause there, there we go, yeah. and then now we've added the layer of uh being a woman of color mm -hmm. Ooh, okay that's a lot right mm -hmm. so for me it's been knowing that it's my calling and then doing what my mom was doing in the car, right? As I was yeah. driving, do the, doing the affirmations um, and then surrounding myself with the right people to who are not going to big me up just because I'm black and I'm doing it, but who will help me get better. Yeah. And I've had amazing, amazing mentors yeah. who have helped shape how I view myself. And even when they're like, that was cool, but it could have been better. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's just like my mother. Right. Yeah. Like, it's crazy how it all comes back around. And yeah. I'm realizing this as we're talking, but just being able to do that and giving giving it a name. Mm -hmm. I think that is like the biggest thing that I had to go through on my journey. Like, I thought it was just me. Like, mm -hmm. I literally thought something must be defective. And, I, and I'm telling you from a student who was strong, like I came from a strong school system. Um, I always did really good in school. Like I had good grades. So when I'm you know, struggling in med school, I'm like, and I didn't really like truly, truly struggle to be honest when I'm like failing classes, I actually did pretty well, but just struggling to feel like, why does it take me longer? Yes. You know, like, so everybody yes. always thinks it's struggling. Like you was failing, like, that's not it. Like I didn't have that issue necessarily, but why is it that this person said they read the chapter in 45 minutes and they it got it and it took me a whole day. Yeah, 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 I finally got yeah. through the chapter on immunology and I had to make charts and videos yes. and YouTube and everything. And I got it. And then the person next to me is like, yeah, I'm on chapter four. And you're sitting there like, what's wrong with you? What's yes. wrong with oh, me? That's real. So yes. it's like, so people think it's always like failing an exam or little things. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. Those things just add to the plate. But it's not only that. Yeah. It's you sitting in a classroom and you're like, but why doesn't nobody look like me? Or, you know, when they're talking about a case and you present, well, you know, did we ask about their job? Or if they drove there and everybody's looking at you like, why is that important? They didn't take their, like, just having such a different perspective that you almost feel that it's wrong. Yeah. But it's not wrong. It's just, an, it's a result of what you've experienced. Mm -hmm. So that's literally how imposter syndrome develops. Yeah. It's not just the failures. It's the little things that make you feel like, wow, I am different. Mm -hmm. Or for me, it was being on rotations and, you know, being pimped by the attending or asked questions. Mm -hmm. And it takes you a little bit longer to answer. And maybe to the point where while you pausing, while you're pausing to answer, 
someone else jumps in front of you yeah. um, or they say, how come you don't know the answer already? When really you're processing everything yes. in your head. And then all of a sudden now you get quieter. Like I found mm-hmm. myself getting quieter. Yeah. I getting myself shrinking. I found myself going towards the back of the group, little things. And that's how it builds. And then eventually you're like, why do I still have this feeling? Residency didn't make it easier for me. Right. So it's residency, right? You're like mm-hmm. now a doctor. So that's hard for everybody. But then at least from my experience, um, I had amazing co-residents and I'm so grateful for my experience and what I've learned in my internal medicine program. But the arrow that I was, I was getting hit with microaggressions left and right. And it started with patients, if anything, patients, ancillary staff who weren't even physicians. So those are the things that kept chipping away, that kept making me doubt myself when I've been doing affirmations with my mother since I was five and I've seen doctors from my church and other people succeed, but I wasn't ready. Like these little things. And then you get in a corner, like, did I, did I fabricate my abilities? Did I fabricate my, my ability to do this, to be able to do this right? Mm -hmm. So it's been like, it's been a journey. Like it's literally been a journey and it's, it's, it has to go back to me understanding it's my calling. And when I have that understanding, it's my calling, I'm devoted to being the best. Mm -hmm. I don't even say that to be cocky. I'm being the best because I understand what being the best means, not mm-hmm. only for myself, but for my patients, for the community that I serve, for the people that I'm going to teach, for everything. Like, I'm just, so if I go back to it's my calling, I'm going to give it everything I got. Yeah. Even if it's wrong, and I'm like, mm, could have been better. I'm going to go home and I'm going to read. I'm going to go and, you know, go to, go to conferences, get the education that I need to be better, or ask for help. It's a huge thing. That's probably another big thing for imposter syndrome, being able to say, you know what, these are my shortcomings somebody needs to help me yeah and that doesn't make me less than a person so that was another thing so man we could talk we could probably do a whole podcast on the topic (laughs) itself. but it's just if if i can simplify it it's going back to why you did this in the first place and that's another thing with medical education that it's so competitive now everybody's trying to get the numbers they can match and Mm -hmm. i get it i I almost feel bad for students because the competition now is really hard that you lose sight of why you even put yourself through this in the first place. Like why would, why put like, there are plenty of people who are making way more money than us mm-hmm. way more money than we'll ever see, honestly, yeah. um, as a physician. So you have to be able to go back and say, why, why did I do this? Yeah. Like, why did I do this and do things along the way that help you stay reminded and renew that reasoning, mm-hmm. renew that passion and ignite that fire, even when it seems like it's getting dim. Um, to remind you of that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> there's so many things I want to ask you. Okay, so let's, um, you mentioned your mentors. Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about, well, I, I want to ask this question first and then I have another one. How did you cultivate those relationships? Mm. And how did you, how did you begin those relationships with the mentors that you have? And how did you, cultivate them. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, I'm really trying to think back on how I cultivated those relationships. I was very good. I think, okay, so let's take the idea of my mom teaching me how to advocate and ask for certain people because you are, you're, 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 you're entitled to, to at least having that opportunity mm-hmm. and not entitled. I don't, I don't like the word entitled, but you know no, what I mean? Like me. yeah, yeah, you have yeah, a chance, yeah. like it's, there's nothing, if it's available, it's available for everyone, right. that kind of attitude. So I got very good at being able to, um, you know, 
send follow-up emails, if I go to a conference, if I meet people, and just keep in contact. Um, as far as the mentors who have kind of helped shape me in medicine, they really came from my medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a couple acceptances to medical school, but <laughs> I looked for people of color yeah. that I could see, That's that I could important. verbally see. Um, and the, the school that I decided to go to, I remember two women of color that were involved with the school, and that was actually one of my motivations for actually agreeing to go to that school. Yeah. Um, because I knew how important that was. Mm-hmm. So I would work on them or work with them on different projects. Um, it wasn't formal. I know people say, you know, formal and ask, and I agree. I, I will endorse that. But a lot of it was really just getting under their wing, keeping my word. If I said I was going to show up at a certain time in your office, I'm there. Yeah. If I said that I was going to email you my progress, you know, during the semester, I did that. So little things to show my character and show my dependability. And then um, as third and fourth year came around in medical school, you know, coming back to their office, getting tips from them, applying, and just keeping them. Uh, My two big mentors are women of color in academics, Mm -hmm. um, which have shaped me going into academics as well. And I just, even in residency, they were my rocks. Like when I didn't find other people who looked like me, um, they were the ones I called and said, am I making things up? Like, how would you, how would, and, and they were like, no, you're not, but you could still navigate it differently. You could still respond differently. Mm-hmm. Everything in life is about your response. Yep. So they coached me. They were literally my coaches mm-hmm. um, and coached me to how to respond and how to, how to change things or how to change how I'm doing things so I can get a different outcome. So, and I've had other mentors along the way. Your mentor doesn't have to be forever. Right. So along the way, maybe there's a specific thing you're interested in or for a short period of time. And I've had mentors along those way, along along those lines where, you know, it was while I was go, trying to go into residency or while I'm trying to do a certain thing or while I was doing international work. I reached out to people who do a lot of international work um, so I could get more information on how to go about that or what programs to apply to. So it's it's. It's labor intensive. So when someone chooses to be your mentor, they're investing in you yeah. a lot. Yeah. Like time, they like become almost like a mother or like a parental figure in mm-hmm. a way. Um, and they coach you and it takes a lot of time. So this is why I've gotten very, I don't want to say picky is not the right word. I give guidance all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, all the time you reach out, even on social media, people send me messages. Hey, can you tell me about this? I give a guidance all the time. I'll even talk to you. Hey, here's my cell phone number. Call me spot guidance. But when I choose to mentor people, um, I'm making an investment mm-hmm. and I'm cautious about when I do it. Cause sometimes it gets really busy for me. And I'm also, I need to see some exchange. Mm-hmm. I need to see that my investment isn't a waste, right? Cause I'm giving part of my time to mentor you. Um, I don't need anything in return, but I need to see an exchange and you're taking heed to what I'm telling you. So that's why I do mentor now. But a lot of it is I have to see where you are. I have to meet where you are. We have to talk a little bit. And I'll just say, "Mm, you're not ready. And it's not even no shade, (laughs) nothing like that. But it's really just trying to um, make it effective for Mm -hmm. both of us because your mentee also teaches you. It also helps you develop and also helps you get it better. So um, I think they're vital. They're important. Um, but a lot of it is trial and error mm-hmm. and seeing who works for you. Yeah. So along the lines of um, mentorship, but just relationships. So I so we're recording this the day after my 30th birthday. Um, Happy birthday. And- <laughs> I already told her this in person. but <laughs> um, And 
one of the things for me that I am now being intentional about is making sure that there are women in my life beyond my mother who who's amazing mm-hmm. um who are in different decades of life yeah. mm-hmm. to help me move mm-hmm. through those decades and, and seasons mm-hmm. um and just cultivating re- relationships with my friends i have amazing girlfriends i think they're phenomenal people so um who is in your circle mm-hmm. that uh there's there's this like me going around behind every strong black woman strong woman there's a group chat hyping her up <laughs> yes. so who is in your group chat oh group chat gassing you up <laughs> um and making sure you're good when you're not good mm-hmm. and um celebrating your victories oh my gosh so i got multiple group chats yeah. how, about, <laughs> how about we 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 say that um but there's something you said i just don't want to forget about the people in different decades. Yeah, yeah. I also take it as the people in different roles you don't have yet. Mm-hmm. So I do have mentors and close people who are married and I'm not married yet, yeah. right? But that is something on the table that I want to yeah. achieve to, to be a wife and things like that. I do have people in my circle who are mothers. Mm-hmm. So I can watch them and how they navigate and, and learn from them. You don't have to have a child to get to skills you need when, if motherhood is something you want, however you go about that. Right. So I have that. So I've I think one thing is to be very keen to where you want to go, mm-hmm. both personal and professional. Right. Know those titles that you would like to acquire along your life, no matter when they're going to happen, and then get the people that are doing it the way you'd like to see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're going to learn from bad mistakes, too, but get the people who are doing it the way you'd like to see it so you can really, truly see what it looks like mm-hmm. and prepare yourself for it. Don't yeah. wait till it happens. Prepare yeah. yourself. So that, that's just that piece. Um, my circle. Oh, my God. So I will tell you this. As you climb up mm-hmm. and you boss up per se, level up, boss up, whatever, <laughs> the glow up, your Cardi B year, whatever you want, yeah. however you want to put <laughs> That's it. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The circle gets smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was so, that was so hard, so hard to accept because you hear constantly, especially in the black and minority community, like, oh, you're just going to go out and get those degrees. And all of a sudden, you're not going to talk to us. You're not going to be like us. You're not going to see, you know, you're not going to interact with us, which is not true mm-hmm. um, in, some, in a lot of instances. And you hear it all the time that you're afraid that's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. So you get nervous and you almost dim your light yeah. for other people oh, or you don't good. try to get to tables because you're afraid that your friends will start looking at you differently. Yeah. So... Oh my gosh, we could talk about this forever, but and I have a point about that. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, so you know, so that was the hardest thing to get to because mm-hmm. my circle was shrinking, and I, and I really was like, oh my gosh, am I doing something wrong? A- am I being, you know, am I cutting people out? What's happening? What's happening? And it was, I, I mean, this like literally at some per- some points when I lost certain people, I was put in tears mm-hmm. um, at losing certain people in my life. I mean, people who some of them were even like best friends, like literally lost some people. But what I realized is that phrase misery loves company is so big. And you know, when you were hustling to get in (laughs) and to some people you didn't even realize who were next to you, didn't even think you were going to make it. And you don't learn that until after you make Mm -hmm. it. And they start saying, Oh, but why you keep studying? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? All you got to do is ace your classes. Why are you doing these fellowships? Why are you, you have to start asking yourself, is that person truly your friend? What's really happening? So when I came to grips with the fact that, you know what, my circle is going to get smaller and is looking like it's getting smaller. Are they, is it quality? Quality over quantity. So quality Quality, became everything. So if anything, my my circle has become such quality now 
oh man, they're family. Like yeah. my circle is family. And, and it's not just people in medicine. So the one, one group chat is all mm-hmm. black docs. Cause you know, you, you gotta have that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you yeah, have, yeah, and yeah. that chat is bomb and they know who it. they know who they are. Yeah. That, that <laughs> chat is off the chain. And that's when something crazy happened. You're like, yo, everybody get on this chat right now. So yeah. I have that. I have another chat that is just, um, just friends that I grew up with. And a lot of the other chats are like friends that I grew up with. Um, different industries. I think I might be the only one that's medicine in those chats, but all bosses in mm-hmm. the, in their fields. Um, we have challenging questions. Yeah. Like we push each other. How do we get mad at each other? Um, so, and we're always thinking, what's the bigger picture? Yeah. So I need those chats too, because sometimes you get so headstrong and your head is down and you just working that you forget what it is, what the world is like for everybody else. Yeah. So I have those, I have my confidants, like anything that's going to get posted or if I'm doing anything, I'm like, yo, get to your email right now. I need you to check this out. So yeah. I have, I have those who, who will definitely, you know, have my best interests at heart. Um, yeah, I got a couple group chats, but I, yeah. I'm like laughing right now. Cause I'm thinking about some of the stuff. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> when I run for office one day, they can't be yeah, compensated. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but you need them. You you need that circle. Like you you need it. You need when you get that award or you get that email that gives you some accolades that you all you do is gotta send a screenshot and you already get all the they gas you. They gas, they, they gas you. Yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. Like you have to. That's yes. you have to. It's amazing. Oh man, my friend. What's funny is most of my let me think about that. I don't have and I don't want to misspeak because I don't. Somebody, they're gonna hear. This. They're gonna hear this. Remember, it's being recorded, right? Um, but I would say my all of my friends are in different industries, mm-hmm, right? Which is great. So yep. they don't. They one. Um, they call me doctor already, mm-hmm. which is which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents do that too. My brothers and my dad, my sister right. do that too. But they um, ask me for medical advice, and I'm like, I don't. I can get, let me open my anatomy textbook <laughs> and see if I can give you, let me WebMD this. Right. Um, but it's good to have friends that are in different worlds yes. Yes. so that you can step outside of yours. Yes. But it's also good to have folks like you have, um, you know, people that are in your world that can keep you grounded in, yes. in the world that you're in. Yes. Um, you said something about misery, love, and come. My mother has always said this, that something's wrong with someone else's life. They have to put yours out to shine. Mm. And that's something I think about all the time. That and I read the four agreements like a long time ago. Mm-hmm. That's and on my book list. Was, I heard about that. Yeah. And one of the agreements is don't take anything personal because most of what people say and do is about them and not about you. Mm. Brilliant. It's yeah. brilliant. <laughs> Blow your mind. And it will change the way that you move. You're like, oh, okay. So I see that you said up and I'm, I'm thinking, you said that because of maybe that there's some something going on in your world mm-hmm. that is challenging. And right. that's why you you put that on me. Um, so yeah, that's about friendship and all that great stuff. Uh, so let's do some fun stuff. Let's do some fun questions. Wait a minute. Let me pause for a second. I realized that we didn't talk about why you wanted to be a doctor. And I guess that should have been like one of the first questions. (laughs) (laughs) But we got into talking about some really good stuff. Right, right. Very quickly. So tell me why or tell listeners, um, why you had an interest in medicine. And you've said this journey is taking you everywhere. And, um, yeah, why you had an interest in, interest in medicine. Um, so my interest in medicine was from a very young age. I grew up with my brother being very sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother is old, my brother's older than me by a year. Um, but he was often in the hospital growing up, like all every few months he was in there and always following up when he's not in the hospital, he's at these, all these specialists. So 
I actually vaguely remember one hospital stay where I saw the doctor. It was a white male, long coat, don't know his name, but I remember that. And my mom said that after I saw the doctor and they left and they were talking to my parents about what was going on with him, um, I turned her hands, I'm going to be a doctor. And I told her that. And to confirm that this was true, she, she said, um, I know this too, uh, my preschool graduation, let me tell you, <laughs> my preschool graduation, everybody has to go up and they do the whole thing where every, every you know, pre-kindergartner to be cute would say, when I grow up, I want to be so-and-so. So I get up there like a boss and I grab the mic off the thing, off the thing. And yeah. I'm like, when I grow up, I want to be a doctor and straight up do an Obama mic drop. And yes. Just drop it. And everybody's laughing. My mom said, your face was so serious to the point where I actually ran into my preschool teacher at Costco. I think while I was in med school or I had just graduated, I'm going to write some, at somewhere. It was in the last recent years. And she said, did you, did you actually become a doctor? And I said, yes, I did. And she was like, I knew it because there was just something about you. And I'll never forget preschool graduation where you, you made the biggest scene in the whole Obama mic drop. Like I literally did it. Um, And she was, that's the first question she asked me when she saw me, like, how are you doing? How's the family? And she was just like, did you become a doctor? Like literally that was her question. So early on and I stuck with it. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I knew I wanted to be a doctor very early on. And this is kind of corny. And I'm, I'm, I won't say why I did this. But anyway, I went to our middle school had a, um, a, like a Halloween party. Mm-hmm. And I actually went to middle school. I went to the Halloween party as a doctor. Like I went with a life <laughs> a lab coat. My dad is a DO too. Right. And so I went, I had like his, one of his stethoscopes or something like that. And one of his, definitely his lab coat mm-hmm. um, on. And I, at the time, the book that had just come out was Gifted Hands mm. by... Right, right, right. Yeah. Who's a brilliant neurosurgeon. Yes. But we won't talk about the other Let's things. leave it there. Let's give him um, credit for what he did. He inspired a lot of young minorities, yeah, to go um, including medicine. myself. Yeah. You know, I read the book as well to go into medicine. Yeah. Because they agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we talked about awesome, some really good stuff. Uh, so let's talk about fun things now. Awesome. And I don't know so, if I should be scared. All right, let me get ready. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, you did mention uh, mention bossing up, right? Mm-hmm. So, what is your life like outside of it? So, when you're not beasting in your white coat, mm-hmm. what is your life like outside of it? Trying to grow this natural hair. Are right? you kidding me? <laughs> listen, like... it's popping. It's, pop- it's popping now. <laughs> People listening can't see it, but it's popping. It's moisturized. It's, not right. it's, it's almost it's, wash it's day, but good. it's looking good. Yes. Um. Uh, yeah, we won't go into this natural hair journey, but it's funny because all my friends, <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh right now, all my friends tell me I have an Ulta Beauty in my apartment because I have every product. <laughs> um, and natural hair has been a new love of mine mm-hmm. for a lot of things. Um, yes, a lot of things, not even just growing out my hair. I've always had long hair. I ended up perming it at 18. Um, and I was always so infatuated with keeping it straight and being, you know, the proper presentable. We won't even go into that because it's a whole nother can of worms. Um, so I actually transitioned in residency. Okay. Um, and there's a story behind that, but I transitioned in residency and uh, I've been really getting into hair mm-hmm. and just embracing my natural hair, um, growing it out healthy, not just length, but healthy. So I will probably be doing something, some concoction in my house because I'm trying to do a lot of natural products. So I'm probably chilling 
listening to music and doing something with my hair. Putting some bananas and avocados. Listen, oh, avocados is a thing. <laughs> what? And yes. honey. And honey yeah. and old school yeah. and aloe vera. Some juices and berries. Yes, yes. But speaking like of hair, so I, since people are listening, um, I will be doing a topic I think is going to be a super dope topic on naturalistas and, blo- and natural hair in medicine Ooh, that's gonna be good. Yeah. at SNMA AMAC. Oh, y'all yeah, be there. I'll be there. So yeah. um, I'll leave it at that. We have some dope, I got some dope natural hair panelists, well, that's gonna be female, good. and we got a male panelist that's okay. probably going to be on there. Um, we're going to be dissecting the politics and passive programming of textured hair and what that is and that's what that looks good. like in medicine. So since you asked, I'm yeah. putting the plug out there. I'm I'm actually going to be really excited about that. I think it's going to be a dope topic at SNA, which is going to be in Philly uh, April. in April. April 17th to yeah. the 21st that's that it. weekend. So yeah. come out. Yeah, I'll definitely be there. I'll be there. Um, and so <clears throat> what is your favorite place you've traveled in the last year? Um, last year. So that would put me, what, like December 2017? Mm-hmm. Um, recently came back from Thailand, which was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, it was incredible. It was a great trip. Uh, but I will say South Africa, which was earlier in the year last year, mm-hmm. was so amazing. But I spent two months in South Africa. Oh. So that could be why the experience was so amazing Absolutely. for me. Um, but South Africa was life-changing, especially towards a lot of parts because I did a little bit of medical stuff. Um, not a little bit, but mostly medical stuff. It was a medical um, trip. It was the Yale Fellowship that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. But then I had I tagged on some vacation time afterwards. So I did like a lot of traveling within South Africa. And the parts about going to Nelson Mandela's house and learning more about him was life-changing. Yeah. Like, oh my God, it literally inspired me and just changed what I felt passionate about and what I was going to do in medicine. Okay, that's great. And what about your bucket list? Where do you want to go? bucket list of travel places uh i want to do more trips to africa for sure more trips to africa um i'm open like i'm literally tagging between myself and one of my travel buddies that i go we go one-on-one and other people girlfriends i'm tagging stuff Mm -hmm. i I always want to be traveling so the bucket list is everywhere i haven't gone to next that's accurate i feel you there i feel you there i feel you there all right so what is the best piece of advice that you've gotten that you take with you every day Got some deep questions, girl. Right. That's, oh, this was supposed to be like rapid fire questions. It's not rapid. You right. asked me. It's not rapid. T- <laughs> All right. Um, um, best piece of advice, honestly, is to work on yourself. I mm. think uh, we had talked on a lot of things, and a lot of times people look at your career as your level of happiness. Happiness yeah. is a oh, choice. Yeah. Probably the best happiness is a choice. It's not a destination. It's not a time in life. It is a choice. Yeah. So if you understand it's a choice, you actively make decisions every day to get to that choice. And a lot of times where we go, what we do, we're looking for that happiness because we don't know ourselves. Yeah. So the best advice, I don't care where you are, what you're doing, the best advice I would ever give is work on yourself. Invest yeah. on working on yourself and growing. Mm-hmm. And that's when you truly live. And yeah. I think that's that's what I've actually been doing the last probably five to six years is just literally just working on me and being okay with the good, the bad, the ugly, the flaws mm-hmm. and the strengths, you know? Yeah, that's good. All right. So I asked you this question offline and I'm going to ask it to you now um, for the record. Mm-hmm. What do you put in your grips? <laughs> <laughs> 
I can't even believe this is a question. Cheese, <laughs> without a doubt. Grits yes. with sugar, what is that? No. No, no, no. Cheese, been... all the way cheese. Wait and maybe a little bit of butter. But well, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Salt, pepper, but cheese. You absolutely have to Absolutely have cheese. cheese yes. Those folks that don't do that, put the sugar people. I, I, let's not even entertain that. Something's I wrong can't. with them. <laughs> <laughs> Something's actually wrong with them. All right. And so let's social life outside of medicine. Do you. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> there's this um like so there's this um app called Blebrity. Jesse Williams has this like game app. It's like oh, a okay. play on Heads Up. Okay, and one of the uh one of the questions on it was well, it's like what was it um um bad and bougie was the topic, mm-hmm. and so you have to you know kind of act out the words or whatever. And so day parties, mm-hmm. rooftop day parties, and brunch, of course are like things that young, mm-hmm. um, upperly mobile folks like to do. Mm-hmm. So if you had to choose, would it be a rooftop day party or would it be brunch? Or a rooftop day party that is brunch? It's probably a rooftop day party that is brunch. <laughs> yeah. As you get older, the whole going out really late thing is real yeah. old. Uh, I mean, I'll do it, but I probably have to nap first. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely <laughs> yeah. a brunch day party type of person yep. yeah and date with day party you can go out at two and still be in the bed by 8 30 bum it's phenomenal it's everything and you can rest and be you know be yeah. good for the morning exactly yes. exactly yes yes all right last question and this is a, a relatively deep question <laughs> <laughs> when it's all said and done <laughs> okay what do you want your legacy to be oh my god you said legacy oh my god um so let me give a backstory. I know this is supposed to be rapid fire. Um, so one of the best things that one of my mentors had said, starting in residency, and it's so funny because we laugh about it now. She was like, listen, you have to work backwards. You have to think about it was your funeral. And I was like, that's a little bit morbid. Hello. Uh, but think about your funeral and they're talking about you. What do you want them to say? What do you want them to say about what you left behind? And once you've determined what that is, you work backwards yeah, and you live each step trying to build that legacy or yeah. that, that thing that you want to leave behind. And I remember when she told, told me that my first year in med school, I was like, what I want to leave behind is the fact that I passed biochem so I could keep Amen. going and finish Amen. this med school thing. Yep. But I didn't realize how leaving that imprint on me literally shaped how, you know, I navigate. Cause people will look at my resume and think, how does she have time? But I was very strategic with, with the things that I did um, and strategic in the sense where I knew where I wanted to go. I knew I was in love with primary care. I knew what I wanted to do in medicine. So the choices that I made to do certain activities were all intentional. Mm-hmm. They were w- ways for me to climb up and realize how do I pick up the skills I need to to be the best that I can in the field that I want to go into. Mm-hmm. So that's why I thought what she said to me was so impactful. Now, on the grand scheme of things, if I could simplify it. I want my legacy to be that I cared. Um, And that is based off of Maya Angelou's quote. Um, People may not remember, and I'm paraphrasing here, they may not remember what you say, but they will always remember how you made them feel. So that caring piece, both friends, families, patients, communities, that I truly care and I gave, like you felt to me through my work, will probably be one. And the other part is authenticity. Mm -hmm. I live, breathe, and need, that has to be part of my legacy. I want you to know that everything you see about me, whether it's in 
the office room and I'm seeing a patient or outside is built on authenticity. Yeah. And it's that's authentic. Good. It's real. You get in the real me. That's good. That's yeah. good. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you know, my, oh, you know, my, oh, you know, my.